Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here Everything is personal right here Len and John rolling it up Listening as they change the industry Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And I have a very special guest with us today. I want to welcome to the show, Dr. Rafael Gonzalez. Thank you for joining us. Len, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to to be on your show. It's it's definitely, uh, I appreciate it. It's definitely my pleasure. So I want to dive into the most amazing novel things that you're working on, but I want to get people to really learn a little bit more about you. So let's start with where did you grow up? Oh, I'm a uh, New Yorker, native New Yorker. I was born and raised in New York. And my parents actually migrated from Cuba. I was born and raised. They went instead of like the majority of Cubans went to Miami. They went to New York because I had grandparents there already, migrated, lived there. And I lived there till I was 13 years of age when then we moved to uh, California, which I've been in California, even though my heart's in New York, but I've, I've been in California since I'm 13 years of age. So what, a long what, time. what part of New York did you grow up uh, in? Brooklyn. I'm a Bensonhurst baby. Bensonhurst. Yeah. So my, my family, my grandma lived in third and Brighton beach. And my other family's uh, Avenue U, Flatbush kind of area. So I used to spend summers. In my, I'm from Philly. I used to spend summers with my grandparents uh, there at the beach. 
So. Yeah, we were, we were, uh, I was in 64th and Bell Parkway, predominantly Italian and Jewish. We were the only Latinos I got there, I remember originally. And it was funny back then, you know, this is, you know, 70s, 60s, late 60s. You know, they're like, what are these foreigners doing here? <laughs> and then years into it, you know, we totally integrated into the full culture. They loved us. I mean, when we cried, they had that, you know, we left there, they, everybody cried together massive block party you know how those how those go over there in the east coast it was so much fun it was so much fun growing up there it's completely different than what i see here in california oh uh, yeah for sure it's very segmented and everybody's isolated and you don't have that sort of sense of community i completely agree with you you have siblings i do a sister is just my sister and i and that's it yeah large family cousins many many cousins aunts uncles all that on both sides of the family and your parents were together yeah, absolutely. Yep. Throughout, yeah, my father passed um, eight years ago. My mom's still kicking going. I love her to death. I talk to her daily. Uh, she's like my total inspiration at the at 82 years of age. Yeah, it's amazing. And then, uh, so what type of childhood did you have? Like, I mean, you're in New York. You come from an immigrant family. I came from an immigrant family too, so I, I can kind of relate what it is, uh, you know, being on the East Coast. I always imagine, I, I moved to California about... 16 years ago uh but i can't imagine how it is at 13 when you're just kind of transitioning you, you're like middle school and then uh, about to you know soon go into high school at some point i know you just started middle school uh, but you know transitioning uh, uprooting your entire life and moving to california like how was that whole transition it was a little crazy but it was merited granted you know my father wanted something better for us he wasn't happy where he was we had we didn't have that much family there in new york anymore they were either in florida or they were in california you know he looked at better opportunities that were in california we had visited a couple times and we just figured there's so much family there you know you have cousins cousins of family aunts uncles all that you know with time you'll make friends but it was a big change really big exactly what you just described as far as community goes i mean it's a big difference you don't just go over right next door to your neighbor's house like over there you're in this neighbor's, that neighbor's, that neighbor's, and everybody in the whole block knows you, but not in California. It was nothing like that. I remember when we first moved, it was like, oh, this is, a, you know, it was hard. It's a weird transition. What about school? Like, uh, you know, you're leaving your friends in the East Coast and maybe playing that stick ball on the, on the street, whatever. <laughs> you come here and uh, none that of that doesn't exists. exist. No. no, time to take trumpet classes, trombone classes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. That was, that, was, that was the extent of it. It was nothing like that. So what kind of kid were you? Were you into science? Were you into sports or like what? No, what you know, it's crazy. I wasn't into science. I'm, I'm a scientist now. <laughs> I wasn't into science. I was my own individual that it was crazy. You know, my, my parents always talk about it and they laugh and they make jokes about it. I was the person that they would give all these toys or I'd get toys and I really wouldn't play with them. I found more function in playing with batteries and making these batteries people and having conversations and interacting with these batteries like if they were people instead of having dolls i would do this on a regular basis that was one of my fascinations and my fascination as a kid which is still as an adult is cars it was the other thing that i always loved since i was a kid i always loved cars and as an adult i love cars too yeah. it's the two things how did you get into cars was it something like you watch on tv or was your your dad into that too or my father wasn't into it. My father, it was, you know, it's funny, the old days, station wagon, panel station wagon, Cadillacs, big cars. Um, 
he wasn't really into cars. I just had a fascination. One of my cousins was into Porsches and I, I found it fascinating, fell in love. I remember as a little kid was like, wow, this is such a neat little car. Uh, and then from there, always wanted to go to his house in New York, you know, where he had this car, talk about the car, let's go drive in the car. Uh, and anytime I saw any neat cars and I would tell my dad, wow, look at that car. You know, when I was 16, my first car was, I had a little fascination with British cars about a Triumph TR6. You know, I I started working at 14 at a gas station and I was like, this is going to be my first car. And my dad was like, oh, you're crazy. That's an old, those, you know, those cars are no good. You don't want, you know, you're going to kill yourself. I was like, this is going to be my first car. You'll see when I was 16 is first focus, save money and, and buy myself that car. How was it? Oh, it was amazing. (laughs) It was crazy because I bought a stick shift car that I didn't even know how to drive stick shift. I knew how to drive automatic. I didn't know how to drive stick stick shift yet. You you learn fast as you learn on your clutch, (laughs) really fast. Yeah, when you're grinding clutches and blowing clutches out. Exactly. So, as a student, you have these fascinations. You like cars, and you got your batteries and all that other stuff. Did you have like an idea of who you wanted to be? At that time, no. I, you know, I, I, I got to be honest. I did not. I went to the, I joined the military when I was seventeen. Okay. High school was beyond boring for me. It was just like straight A's. I actually dropped out of high school when I was sixteen. Mm-hmm. Took the proficiency exam, got out, started going to community college. Was a little bored with community college too, and told my father, "Listen, um, my father was so disciplined, so so strict on us." Uh, both my sister and I left at an early age because he was so strict and so disciplined with us that both of us at the age of 17 were like, we're out of here. We need a little bit of freedom. I left and joined the military. I joined the army, um, you know, was able to travel something that I wanted to do too, wanted to be on my own, was able to be on my own. He signed for me to be, you know, leave early at the age of 17, left at the age of 17 and went to the military. And, you know, I really didn't want anything to do with, I saw so much struggle and hard work in my family and my father my father worked three jobs to help his whole family come from cuba migrate over to have you know the opportunities that we have here in the united states and i didn't want to bother him i didn't want to do you know i I went to the military i was done with my term i said this is really not for me Uh, i think i'm better than this but i learned a significant amount of discipline a significant amount of independence of course that you get over there and you know, came back and said, let me start off by going back to work. But with the back of my mind, always telling me, I need to go back to school. I need to learn more because every day when I learn something, I sort of, you know, it, it gives you that enabling power of, you know what? I learned something today, even if it's something new. Every day when I learn something new from anybody, I'm like, this is, you know, fantastic uh, that I learned something new today. So it was something that was always in the back of my mind. And I just, you know, I said, let me go to school here and there. I had to work. I had no choice but work. Even when I got out of the military, I had no choice, you know, but work. And I was, that was taught to me. You have to work. You have to pull for yourself. And it's what, you know, it's what I did until I decided, you know, one day, you know, I made enough money to buy a small condo to support myself and to say, I'm going to take a step back from working and dedicate myself to going fully into school. But even at that time, I had a goal of going to physical therapy because I was so intrigued with the body. I had a back injury that I was trying to, how do you figure, how do you do this? How do you heal this naturally? How can we heal it naturally? I was so intrigued with finding that. And then when I went back into school was when I found my crazy passion of research, you know, and the body and cells. 
And it's when from there is when it took off. It's so interesting because uh, I was just thinking maybe it's an immigrant kind of thing, but it sounds like we had the same kind of father as well. Very tough and disciplinarian. I also left home when I was very young. I also went to physical therapy school and <laughs> I also hated- That's how we get along. <laughs> school, school, I, I, school was just boring for me. I never cared at school. I don't like to study. I love to learn. I hate to study. Studying is, uh, is something I have to force myself to do. But if there's ways that I find something interesting, I, I, it's insatiable. So I never worked as a physical therapist in my life. I, I shifted over to, you know, other things, but it's really interesting how, you know, life takes this trajectory. And I think it's a great example of uh, people being able to see, okay, you know, you see what your parents have done. You want to do something different, something better. I, I even have this conversation with my daughter now because I tell her, you know, you, you have to work hard. And I'm like thinking, shit, that's my dad's voice. And she's like, I got people who work maybe an hour a week and they make like a million dollars a year doing a TikTok or something like that. I yeah. don't think dad, it's the same kind of hard work anymore. Maybe not. I, I Maybe still not. have this kind of old school kind of belief that you, you have to work hard. So when, when you went to school and you started doing research, is there a specific moment in time in your, in your school and that you're like, you know what? I'm fascinated by research and I'm fascinated by science and I want to propel my career in this direction. Yeah. I mean, always in the back of my mind, you know, for instance, my dad always told me work is great. Look at me, you know, working, busting my butt over here, making peanuts. But he always, it was like a consistent, that little tick in your ear like on a consistent basis, go to school, get an education. None of us did it. They can take away, you can lose your job, you can lose your health, you can lose your life, but nobody could ever take away your education. So it was always in the back of my mind where I just said, I need to go back to school. You know, I actually went the, 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 the not the longer route, but I went to, let me start off with not even bothering to trying to go to university, started off, went back to community college. And got into biology because biology was physical therapy. The body was straight A's. You know, I was doing fantastic in community college. Loved it. It wasn't until I decided to, to you know, when I said, let me go into apply to universities. I ended up going to University of California, Irvine. And it wasn't until I had to work while I was in university. I had no choice. You know, I'm sustaining myself. I have a kid already. I have to sustain myself. I have to pay my own bills. And when I was in school, I said, listen, they, they gave me the best opportunity of joining a research club uh, where I would pay, where I would do research. And I was the one that just told, you know, the, the professor then and everybody there, what do you need help with? I'll work however, how many hours you want. Yeah, but you can only work four hours. I'll work the four hours and I'll stay. Forget about my pay. I want to learn what you're doing. I'll clean the floors. I'll do anything. I just, I, it was like a, it was like what you just said, like, you know, said, oh my God, I'm like, I'm becoming my dad. <laughs> you know, it, it was like one of those, but I found that it helped a lot. I mean, I was working crazy hours and it, and it wasn't really until as an undergraduate where the principal investigator, the professor that ran the lab told me one time, hey, listen, I need to pick up. I have a new experiment and a new project we want to pick up and I need to get a postdoc, somebody following getting their PhD, and I was an undergraduate, to run this project, to run this experiment. It's going to take me months and I'd like to move faster. I see that you love to work. You think you can learn this? I was all in. 
He gave me stacks of papers. I'll provide you papers. You, I read, 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 was fascinated by everything I found. We were boyfriend and girlfriend back then. My wife and I have been married for 23 years now. She was upset because I would, I'd sleep sometimes at the lab on the floor in the conference room. I was there like taking care of animals, doing all, I, I mean, I just, just like fully dived in, fully fell in love with all of it. And more on the focus of, you know, not necessarily finding out, you know, finding new things, learning new things, but how does this translate into the human condition and how do we make or research what we're doing, help somebody, you know, what's the correlations of it? And that was what became my fascination with, I'm going to get my PhD as soon as possible. And I'm going to really focus on producing something that is going to translate into the human condition. It's going to work on humans. Was that like your interest in regenerative medicine? Is that where it started? And is that yep. too broad of a topic? That's a massively broad topic, but most of it stemmed originally from my, my original work was in the immune system, immunology. Mm. And then first started off with the fascination of the immune system is a regenerative component, has to regenerate on a regular basis. You just told me right now you were just sick. Guess what? Your immune system's on overdrive. I was sick, whatever, three weeks ago, a month ago too. Immune system's on overdrive. Immune system has to take care of every problem. And the craziest thing about the body is that the immune system plays a role in every single disease in life. Every single one. You think something of the brain, no, it has something to do. No, your immune system plays a massive role in that. You know, it's, it, it's just crazy. Well, I wanted to ask you, since you brought that up, it kind of popped in my head because I, I talk to people all the time about, you know, your immune response and, and, you know, doctors a lot of time try to suppress your immune response. And I was thinking, you know, well, your immune response, are you suppressing the immune response because you don't want to feel the effects of it? Like, but it's, it's an, there's an inflammation. It isn't an immune response a good thing. That means your body's actually responding to something. We feel like shit because it doesn't feel good, but I understand why you wouldn't want to feel that, but why would you want to suppress that response? You wouldn't want to suppress that response, but unfortunately, the stuff that I study is in the context of aging. And as we age, we get what's called a chronic inflammatory response. Right. And there's aspects to inflammation that are good, meaning a pro-inflammatory response, which is that initial response. Mm -hmm. And then the secondary response, believe it or not, is probably the more important response of the anti-inflammatory and that regenerative and that repair response, because it deals with that. The only problem is, I mean, I talk about this on a regular basis. Think about when you were a kid. The neat thing about it is remember when you were on that skateboard, on that bike, and you fell down and it hurt so bad, you started crying and you had this so much pain. And then days later, you were healed. It's because that pro-inflammatory response was so robust that that anti-inflammatory healing response is so robust. Now take a step back and think of now. Len, when's the last time you've fallen down or hurt yourself, anything like that? I tore my meniscus. <laughs> think of how long of that healing response to feel good it took you. You know, it's, it, it's, and it's because of this. It's because that immune system is not functioning like it used to. That pro-inflammatory response that's supposed to resolve that issue 
and get a bunch of inflammation there is not as strong. It's a dull response. Guess what? That anti-inflammatory response, it's also dull. It's like really dull and you don't have that healing response. I fell on a scooter with my kids and my whole legs swell up and it was like, you know, I remember as a kid, like, you know what the hell? And the crazy thing is I fell and I got up. My kids were like, oh my God, are you all right? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm perfectly fine. They look, look at the side of your leg. It's all, you know, scraped, bloody. And I'm like, no big deal. Just wiping it off. And that's it. I, you know, if I was a kid, you'd be screaming and crying because it hurt like crazy. Uh, and it's because of that. It's that it's like a dull response. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And that's why maintaining immune health is like, it's, it's the most important thing in life, especially with all these viruses and everything that's, you know, we're so challenged on a daily basis. It's crazy. Why is that immune response? Why does it become dull as we age? It's the natural part of aging. The cells have been on basically working hard, working hard. That's one. Two is the environment has changed a lot. The amount of obstacles that your immune system has to deal with on a regular basis is, is, is changed a lot. You know, you now have this COVID. COVID's added like another obstacle besides the standard viruses that we already carry that we have around. Mononucleosis, which is Epstein-Barr virus, is one of the worst viruses anybody can have. And you have 75% of the patient population that has this and suffers from it. Now you challenge the immune system with something else. Guess what? The immune system says it becomes exhausted. How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with that? How am I going to deal with this? But the important is part is you got to have that, what you just talked about, that immune response. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't look at people that have autoimmune diseases. An autoimmune disease is something that your immune system's on overdrive. It's attacking its own body and it's doing bad to your body. And guess what they do to these people? They put them on suppression. Yes, they feel good temporarily, but guess what happens when I suppress your immune system for a relatively long time? I now make you susceptible to what every one of those drugs that you hear a lot of times on the on TV ads and all that, number one, cancer. Number one, number two, other infections. Number three, other issues with your immune system because the immune system is suppressed trying to deal with, you know, we don't want you in overdrive, but guess what? You don't have an immune response to tackle that mutated cell. You don't have an immune response to tackle that new virus that came in, any of that. So as we age, you know, is there anything we can do to modulate our immune response? Because the idea is to live a healthier, longer life. Sure. But we want to health span versus lifespan. So what can we do? Because the immune system is a, an enormous part of that. There's actually steps to it. And there's many steps to it that work out phenomenally well. The number one key thing, the baby step is, and somebody asked me this question, I remember in an Uber, what can I do for longevity? And I thought about it, like, what's the easiest thing? There's nothing more important than what you put in your mouth. It's, it, it's actually, I'm actually, I'm doing a presentation. Actually, I would just stop doing this presentation right now about that nutritional aspect of longevity is the baby step and the key to everything watching what you're consuming on a regular basis because food is medicine totally is medicine and then when food is not enough to make that medicine work right then there's other things such as supplementation which are part of the baby steps then adding on to that baby step is exercise in moderation and exercise doing correctly also strengthens and activates your immune system because it also if you think about it what happens when you run when you take a long walk long walks or low impact you're increasing blood flow and when you have the opportunity to increase blood flow what transpires you now oxygenate all the vital organs you have rich blood going to the heart going to the brain you feel better 
you know, simple things as, as breathing exercises, believe it or not, first thing in the morning. Guess what? You're tired. Get up and go through several rounds of breathing techniques, deep breathing in, deep breathing out, holding your breath, strengthening those lungs. You will wake up and feel good immediately. Those are simple things that, you know, that help. And then sometimes when you've had chronic diseases, these are things that I work on is cell therapies, bringing in the context cell therapies, you know, whether it be stem cells, whether it be another cell type in your body, a natural killer cell, other things like this, these different therapies that we bring in. Those are when you need that super extra boost that you can't control something yourself. People talk about stem cells all the time and exosomes and, you know, that's in the, I hear that all the time and, and people listen to talk shows about it. I don't really know if people really understand what they are. And, you know, people even sell creams all the time. I see them. It's stem cell cream. Can you enlighten people a little bit about what is a stem cell? What is a natural killer cell? And why is that important? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll start off with the stem cell. So stem cell is basically a very naive cell that's in your body now, that's mostly found now in your body, in bone marrow and in fat, and you can get them from teeth. You can actually get it from immense testes too now. You can get them from many different locations, but the frequency, the amount of them as you age also drops because these are sort of the cell that have to produce other cell types in your body. And depending on where you obtain them from are the cell types that you obtain. For instance, one of the most studied ones is what's called a mesenchymal stem cell. And this is the stem cell that forms muscle, cartilage, fat. You know, if you think of muscle, you think of regular muscle, you think of heart muscle, fat, cartilage, bone. It also forms bone tissue. So it's one of the stem cells that help form a lot of those different areas. The problem is everybody's using the term stem cells for everything. What you just said, like a cream with stem cells, that's complete nonsense. Um, because the cell's not going to live in a cream. That's impossible. It does not live in a cream. It has to be in the, in the correct environment. It's just like when it's in our body, you know, when you're on an optimal diet, there's a certain amount of protein. There's a certain amount of fat. Our plasma in our body is what produces all, you know, we have all the proteins and it helps what sustain it. And it has to be at a certain temperature because it's a, it's a cell. It's a cell in our body. People talk about, oh, I had stem cells done. You know, did you have it done from, from where did where was where did the stem cell come from? Did, it, did they just take out bone marrow from you? If you think of bone marrow, if I remove 50 milliliters, a tube of your bone marrow about that much, and you talk about stem cells in there, you talk about you probably have, you know, you have billions of cells that are in there, but guess what? More than billions of cells. The percentage of stem cells in there is like a needle in a haystack. So somebody will call something like I took their bone marrow and I put them in and I gave them stem cells into their knee, whatever it may be. I got stem cells. Listen, there's regenerative properties in that gamish of the bone marrow, which there's a, we talked about the immune system. The bone marrow consists mostly of immune cells. That's where actually the, you know, all the cells from the immune system are actually produced. And there's regenerative factors in there. There's factors in there, which is where we go to the exosomes, the signaling bioactive signals in our body that make the changes that transpire on a daily basis with us. But there's very, very few stem cells that's, you know, in bone marrow, in fat. That's why, for instance, the cells that we use are from umbilical cord. They're really, really young. They're very, very naive. 
they're robust. We can grow up a lot more of them. And they have a lot more of these, they secrete a lot more of these bioactive molecules called exosomes. They're stronger, they proliferate. You know, when cells grow, they age. That's what happens with aging. Remember, aging is just cells turning over, proliferating, proliferating, and proliferating, turning over. And at some point, you only have a finite amount of cell divisions in our body. There is no more divisions of cells. And you have a zombie cell that occupies space in your body, which is called the senescent cell causes havoc so i want to definitely talk about senescence uh, for a little bit but i wanted uh, to ask uh, what's the legalities around stem cells and why are you allowed to have stem cells in certain ways in certain ways you're not you know, in the united states maybe you can uh, tell people a little bit about that yeah it's 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 a it's a complicated rule and complicated regulations that deal with, for instance, there is like autologous, and autologous means from you. If somebody removes bone marrow fat from you and they process it right there on the spot, which is called point of care, then they're allowed to use it. But remember, there's some stem cells in there, very few stem cells in there. There's not that many in there. But it, it's a process that's allowed in the United States. They can do it in the United States. When you take a cell out of the body and you put it in a petri dish and you purify it and you grow it up the fda the you know the food and drug administration looks at this as something that you manipulate it and they now put it in the context of it's a drug whether it's from you or whether it's from somebody else that you can use it doesn't matter but as soon as you put it on that petri dish and you are expanding meaning those cells are multiplying and growing they call that more than minimally manipulated. That means that you now fall under drug regulations and you can't do it unless you go through the drug route. The drug route is you basically file an application with the FDA and you start a phase one clinical study, which shows safety. Then you go into efficacy, how it works, and you have to prove that it works and you have to meet your endpoints to show that it works by looking at mechanisms of how it worked and what it did clinically to a person. Phase two, phase three, then you apply for an application to make this marketable, which is crazy, crazy, crazy expensive. By the time you're done with this whole process, many years are into it and you're, you know, something costs half a billion dollars. And that's why drugs cost so much money here in the United States. That's why they cost, you know, it's, it's crazy. And the amount of time and effort into all of it is very, very costly. And that's why they could become so expensive. So how come you're able to get stem cell therapy outside the United States? David? Do they have different legal standards for that? The, correct. Correct. There's different, different countries have different legalities to them, different approvals. For instance, Mexico allows if you get specific licenses within the labs, they allow growth of specific cell types. They allow expansion of specific cell types, and they allow the ability to use regenerative products uh, with the understanding that they look back and look at the literature that's out there. And you'll see many of these culture expanded stuff, as long as it's done correctly, you know, you, what you need to understand is the FDA is looking out to protect the consumer mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people out there trying to grow up things, not growing it up, not testing it, not doing the right thing. So number one, the most important thing is your safety aspect of it. You know, are the products sterile? Are they made in a sterile environment? Are they free of viruses and disease, bacterium, 
all these different things can be super problematic. And that's what they're looking after. And that's what they're, you know, trying to make sure that there's no issues with. Outside of the United States, you do the same exact testing, you do the same exact things with the merit over there that some countries, many countries allow certain things based on what they've seen before on guidance and what they've seen before and how this has been used in thousands of patients already in clinical aspects. You mentioned natural killer cells or NK cells. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit of what, what those cells are? Absolutely. One of my favorite cell types to study and to look at because it's a fascinating cell. It is part of your immune system and exactly what it says there, it's a natural killer. Uh, it's part of what's called the initial or the innate immune response. It's the fastest response in the body. The natural killer cell is in charge of three things. Number one, a mutated cell, so a cancerous cell. And if you look up NK cells, almost everything you will find is in the context of cancer. There's so many different de uh, developments of, of natural killer cell strategies, cell therapies to wipe out cancer. Number two is a virus, a cell that's loaded with a virus that needs to be removed, wiped out. It's what it's in charge of. And lastly, what we're studying, what we're looking at is a senescent cell. Not too many people know what a senescent cell is. A senescent cell is a zombie cell, or it's a cell that has basically ended its finite amount of divisions. It no longer divides, it occupies space. Think of a senescent cell as fibrosis of the lung, the liver, an immune system that's non-functional. This is an immune cell, a T cell. It could be a B cell, a particular immune cell in your body that just circulates and does nothing. It doesn't do the job. It's a really, really dim signaler, dim communicator with the other cells in the body. Because what you, the, the dynamics of the cells in your body, they communicate with each other to survive and remember. Your body's only happy when it's in homeostasis, when it's completely leveled, when your blood glucose levels are, are level, when your blood pressure is level, when everything is in homeostasis and perfect, that's when the cells are happy and everything is content. Otherwise, cells have to now change their form. They have to release other things to make another cell survive, to make another cell make sure that it does the right thing. I mean, it's crazy. Think of this. How many cells, Len, do you think turn over in your body on a daily basis? How many cells do you lose? And how many new cells have to be produced? It's, I imagine millions. <laughs> it's 330 billion approximately. Billion. Wow. billion that turn over on a daily basis in your body and new cells are formed. It's a crazy, crazy number if you think of you know what goes on physiologically in your body. It's fascinating because the system has to be maintained. Mm -hmm. And these natural killer cells are a really strong part of that initial attack that initial maintenance and that initial signal to the army of the immune system which is t-cells and b-cells that is the massive and army a, and a senescence question if you have the senescent cells are they still taking resources from your body even though they're uh sort of zombie cells what, they're not doing anything but they're still you know what, taking the resources yeah they are actually because they're number one occupying space and number two most importantly is we now know they release factors, and these are called senescent-associated senescent factors that make the surrounding area worse. You know, if you think of an example of both of us have gray hair, 
It's basically a cell now that is not producing the right. Well, you you have hair. I only have beard hair, so yeah. Yeah, but the great. beard is all gray, and the sides are <laughs> the, the sides are gray too. It's but it's a cell that's not it's not functioning correctly with the pigment of what you had previously when you were younger. Uh, it occupies space and it causes exponential problems within the body. So removal of such and there's studies and mouse models that show removal of such causes natural regeneration, which is what we look at and which is what we study. So if I were putting a natural killer cells in the body, but the body has some sort of uh, disease in it, or would it replicate the disease? Would it kill the disease? Do I need a, to have a clean scaffold or like, how does that work? Or does it actually pinpoint, go after a disease and removes it? Well, number one is that it requires that you take these cells from you or take them from another source, you activate them, you grow them up, you produce billions of them, and then you put them back in. The concept is it goes after the three things we just described. If your viral titers, if your viral loads are too high, it's going to go after virus. If you have mutated cancer cells, it's going to go after cancer cells. If you have a lot of immunosenescence, it's going to go after the senescent portion of these age-old cells and kill them. Once it kills them, what it basically does is the, your, the rest of your immune system has to clean up that debris and remove it. Then the bone marrow, in the context of the immune system, has to come in and has the signals to say, I have a certain amount of cells in my, my body that I have to maintain. Mm -hmm. I'm now going to produce these brand new fresh cells that do the right job. So what's the most fascinating part of the research that you're working on right now and that can be implemented specifically uh, you know, for, for these conditions. Most of our research is going on restoring the immune system to a younger state, mm -hmm. modulating, controlling the immune system, because what we talked about earlier, for instance, you know, the reason why you're more prone to cancer as you age, believe it or not, when you hit 50, the rest of your lifespan, you have a 50% likeliness of getting cancer. And as you turn 60, it goes up exponentially to 75%. So it's pretty crazy. And it's because that natural killer cell we actually call them dormant office workers. They, as you age, they become dormant. And there's articles that demonstrate this. There's science that demonstrates this. They basically just become like signalers, like communicators, mm -hmm. but they're not those killers. They're not the ones that were young. Like we can take them out of your body. We can put them in Petri dishes and activate them and we can make them attack target. We have evidence of this attack target and kill the right targets that are needed. So I'm just like being naive to this uh, as a side and wouldn't it make sense for me to have to supplement with NK cells anyway, as I turn 50, the same way that I would say, okay, my hormone levels, my testosterone levels starting to decrease. Now I need to optimize my hormone levels. Wouldn't everybody as they get older should optimize their NK cells as well? That's where we're heading towards. That's where we're, we're trying to get to. And that is our goal. That is our belief. You know, that tends to have to go towards, we have to do large scale clinical studies on this. We have some case studies that show this, that we published last year that shows this, that because if you remove immunosenescence, you can now help the immune system do what it needs to do correctly. For instance, there's now evidence out there too. I had a conversation with a colleague of mine that's a rheumatologist. And he's like, have you seen how much evidence there is now in individuals that have, for instance, rheumatoid arthritis that have had this since they were juvenile, you know, have the, these issues since they were young, since they were in their teens, 
-hmm. Now they're 40 years of age and they have diseases of those that are 70 and 80 years of age. Mm -hmm. And they now know because their immune system is senesced. Mm -hmm. It's an old immune system that's not functioning correctly. If we remove that, the bone marrow now has the right signaling cue to basically say, I need to reduce what I need to produce and do the right thing. I mean, this is David Sinclair, I think, not only wrote a book about but that, that's what he, everything he uh, talks about in terms of aging is specifically uh, has to do with, you know, senescence. And if you have an, uh, a way to be able to, you know, clean those, I uh, see even zombie cells up, I mean, it would make sense that it would be, you know, adoption throughout the community. Is there a pushback that people are trying to say this, uh, this is not the way uh, to go? Or There's really not that much pushback. You know, unfortunately, you have to show everything has to be done through science. Everything has to be yeah. done through research. And you got to run the clinical aspects of it and do it. You know, so far, the, good, the great thing about NK cells is there's a robust amount of clinical studies out there that show safety profiles. Even if you get an NK cell from, you know, from another source, from somebody else, cord blood from a donor for whatever there's a good amount of data out there that has you know established a safety profile i mean you look at clinical trials that gov and tripin nk cells in cancer and you'll find more than a thousand clinical studies in that context mm -hmm. so there's a lot of data out there that has at least established the safety profile the other thing is you know gearing and basically causing a particular cell to have a particular action is something different because you can have an NK cell that's geared towards cancer. You can have an NK cell that's geared towards a virus. And you can have an NK cell that's geared towards senescence, meaning its function. You've made guided it to attack those particular cell types. Those are, that's a lot of the work that we're actually doing is targeting, you know, in the context of what we're doing is senescence, targeting senescence, not targeting, you know, cancerous cells, although that would be fantastic too, but you can't tackle too many battles at, at a, at one time. So our focus is, is clearly on that. You know, I have colleagues of mine that have these new supercharged natural killer cells that are supercharged to kill cancerous cells only. I mean, if you look at the animal studies and everything that's out there, you're like, wow, this is, you know, it'll cure animals. But a lot of the times that you see these cures in mice, dogs, we're not mice, we're not dogs. Although, you know, everybody, including myself, I did a crazy amount of mouse work, animal work. You go back and you say, I'm 96% homologous to a mouse but guess what you cure mice all day long all the time and then when you try to translate that into a human condition the percentage that ever occurs of that is less than four percent any of it that's 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 super interesting so so currently right now is there a commercial use for any of the research that you're doing like if uh uh if i'm a medical practitioner and say, I'm interested in this. Do we contact you or, or is it just uh, if somebody's interested in participating in research will be, uh, you know, the, some we, we have, I mean, we have clinical, we have clinical studies. Our, our goal is like, for instance, one of the things we're going after is what's called an orphan autoimmune disease, uh, polymyositis, dermatomyositis. And the context behind that is try to get to commercial quick because there's nothing available for these patients that eventually you know, they have their own immune system attacking their muscle, their own immune system attacking their skin, which eventually leads to pulmonary fibrosis, mm -hmm. which is what these individuals die from. You know, they lose lung function and they end up passing from that, which is, I mean, 
it's got to be horrific. It's a horrific disease. And, you know, there's really nothing available out there. There's there's some things available to slow it down a little bit, but nothing available. Going with that approach of that's, that's our approach that we're trying to go after now is trying to get things to market quicker and going with that. Outside the United States, there's opportunities. You can, you can look up different clinics that are out there that are available that give these opportunities that, that have these different types of stem cells out there that you can actually uh, work with. Do genetics play a role in some of these conditions that are later on maybe epigenetically expressed? Uh, could you uh, uh, see something that may be so, sort of like your view into the, the future based in uh, genetics? Do you see any of that? I mean, based on genetics and based on epigenetics, you could foresee it. And the good thing about with all the testing that you know you guys do and testing that others do is you have the opportunity to have a look at something that can happen in the near future. And it also affords you the opportunity of what are at minimum the baby steps that I can do to try to make some changes, especially in the epigenetics portion of it. How can I make some changes, simple stuff that we talked about, diet, nutrition, the right supplementation, because unfortunately, as we age, we don't absorb vitamin D the right way. Our gut is a disaster. Water's toxic. (laughs) Food's toxic. You know, you you really got to focus on all these things and get healthy so you can make that change. But you're not going to know what change you need to make unless you do the testing. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, to me, the future, really precision medicine, precision therapeutics is is exactly that. And if you're able to use your personalized NK cells as a supplement, I mean, you know that you may be able to prevent something from turning you on. It's sort of like, uh, you know, yes, CRISPR is definitely a way to be able to do go in and manipulate and do some gene editing. I think CRISPR is fantastic when you're, you know, in utero, you can modify some of these uh, uh, gene expressions that maybe but uh, come out. But if you can do this genetically and epigenetically, as you said, and actually create these personalized protocols for people and have a preventative protocol, I really believe that's sort of the future that we're going. I just don't think the pharmaceutical industry is very keen on these personalized approaches because it's much more cost effective for them to do, you know, sort of these uh, buckshot approaches to help to give you drugs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To give you drugs that cause side effects, and then to give you another drug that solves that side effect. Of course, but they'll keep you alive. They'll keep feeding you uh, you different pills. All right, let's let's switch to a few uh, fun questions that I have. Um, Do you remember the very first concert that you attended? And if so, what was it? Yes, it would have to be Scorpions in Germany. What was the last concert you attended? The last would have to be Peter Murphy in Los Angeles. And that was uh, like five years ago, four years ago. Okay, so this is a question uh, I ask all my guests. For next year, you have to listen to five albums. And I'll preface it as... You don't have to mention the, like the name of the album. You can just say, you know, Peter Murphy album, for instance. Uh, what would be those five albums? Oh, number one is we just talked about it earlier before we got on is David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. There is nothing better than that. Number two, I'd have to say Led Zeppelin. Number three, I'd have to say Michael Jackson. Number four, to switch it up, is exactly what you just said. I love Peter Murphy. And then... You know, number five, I was part of the new wave and the punk revolution. Uh, I'd have to say Black Flag. Oh, man. 
love that <laughs> very very eclectic taste i, I like yep it. very 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 different i'm into all i you know i would love to have thrown in there a run dmc album too throw it in it's a bonus <laughs> uh so speaking of bonus question uh please describe what your room looked like growing up wow so we were poor we lived in a one-bedroom apartment my parents had the one bedroom my father took the living room and it was a large living room and he moved it up and he put a curtain in that living room so the tv was in front of that curtain and my bedroom and my sister's bedroom was behind that curtain that we lived on until i was you know she was 14 years of age i was you know i was 12 years of age until we you know we moved i was 12 when we left there 12 years of age um we lived behind there she was on the top bunk i was in the bottom bunk uh nothing in the walls i, I would imagine like uh no posters or anything of that. no because i lived i had a girl in the room i couldn't do i couldn't put anything up <laughs> she couldn't put anything up <laughs> you know we had a window there and and bunk beds and of course a, a cabinet to store our stuff in and and that's about it one bedroom one bath yeah i i understand what it's like uh you know being uh child of being an immigrant myself uh so uh rafael where can people contact you or find out more about your research or engage with you we'll our our um yeah, our company, our clinical company is Restem, R-E-S-T-E-M.com. And then our research company that develops everything that then translates into uh, Restem, the clinical aspects of everything we do is The Biobox, T-H-E-B-I-O-B-O-X.com, TheBioBox.com. Uh, you can reach out through me through there. It's pretty simple, straightforward. R. Gonzalez at either one of those, Restem.com or R. Gonzalez at uh, TheBioBox.com. Excellent. Rafael, thank you so much uh, for thank joining you. us. This is really, really great. Super educational. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate your time and thank you for having me on. You got it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.